Hello everybody, this is Hobbs Q. Before we get started with today's episode, I just wanted to give a little bit of an update. Uh, this episode was recorded a little over a month ago before kind of stuff had really been coming out about COVID-19 um, and the recommendations for social distancing. As such, uh, this episode is actually about social anxiety, ways to overcome that. And in, in some ways, we actually ended up talking at the end about going to events or what you can do uh, when you're experiencing kind of social anxiety, kind of work on improving that if that's something that you're interested in doing. We recognize that this is kind of an ironic time to be putting out this episode and have already been in discussions of kind of doing a little bit of a follow-up episode where we can better talk about maybe how do you remain social in times right now that we haven't experienced where we are being encouraged to kind of keep distance and to also be doing things remotely. We've been seeing a lot more stuff kind of pop up online, whether it's people playing together on stream, um, over discords. So we want to kind of talk a little bit about how to kind of deal with social anxiety, especially if that's been an issue once we are in a situation like that. So for today's episode, we are just going to be talking about social anxiety in general and <laughs> realizing that once again, this was kind of a ironic time for it to come out. But we appreciate you for listening and sit back and enjoy our uh, show today. Hello, Podwalkers, and welcome to another episode of the Goblin Lore Podcast. Uh, today, we want to talk to you about a topic that has come up before on the cast, but never really gotten a focus. It's also one I think that's personal. I know personal to me and personal to all of us. Uh, we're going to talk about anxiety disorders, uh, specifically social anxiety. And we also want to revisit one of the, the first topics we talked about, um, attending magic fests and conventions, and take some time to talk about attending those as someone with an anxiety disorder. But first, we've got to introduce ourselves and answer our opening question. Uh, that question is, what's one great experience you've had at a Magic Fest slash Grand Prix slash convention? Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, I'm Hobbs Q. I can be found on Twitter at Hobbs Q. My pronouns are he, him. And uh, I actually will say that I think one of the greatest experiences I've had at any Magic Fest was... Um, Simply, uh, so I was at the second GP Vegas that I ever went to. Uh, it was the second one of the GP Vegases, actually. And I got invited to kind of a Lady Planeswalker draft at an off-site Irish bar with um, Adrian and um, Heather. Heather was the one because she's local to, so that's Revised Angel and Dreamtime Drin. Uh, Heather had arranged this and I was fortunate enough to get an invitation and she literally just brought boxes of um, Innistrad and Dark Ascension and we just drafted at an Irish pub just for free. Heather provided everything. We had a room kind of to ourselves and it was just such an amazing, fun experience. I got to play with a lot more women players than I normally did at, at conventions and at big events and it was just a great opportunity to do that. Oh, Chase, you could be up next. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, good conversation. And then I got really quiet right. and I was like, oh, no. Okay. Well, first of all, hello. My name is Welcome Chase. Welcome back, Chase. Yeah, this is what, my fourth, fifth time? Uh, it's getting there. Yeah. It's, it's up there. Uh, yeah. So one, fourth, two, fourth. fourth. Yeah, fourth. fourth. Fifth, okay, cool. really, because we, because we did two part a couple. Split. Yeah. 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 So yeah. And then we have my lost We're episode. Glad to have you. <laughs> yes, in the lost episode. Um, 
the last, the last episode is pretty rough. <laughs> but um, so yeah, no. So we're glad to have back. you back. This I is love another good back. topic, I think, and we we like having your expertise is kind of a bringing that social work aspect to it. So yeah, mm-hmm. I just wanted to say that before we get going. Yeah. Thank you. Um, my name is Chase, um, also known as Manic Curves Everywhere. Um, my pronouns are she, they. Um, and my great experience I've had at a convention was actually at SCG Con this past SCG Con. Um, I'm a very shy person by nature. Honestly, I'm actually extremely anxious. Um, and I do not do super well in social situations. So um, I was able to attend what's called LobbyCon, which is essentially just a bunch of um, really cool, awesome magic people just relaxing, you know, having a couple drinks and just really like enjoying themselves like in the lobby at the hotel. And I was able to do that. And I was able to relax, you know, talk to some people I was too scared to talk to. I made some friends, um, had some fun, opened a whole case of German L drain while super drunk. Oh, um, wow. That sounds yeah, amazing. And just, yeah. And just like made some really good friends from it. And, um, yeah, it was really good fun. Um, Tappy lifted me in the air. Well, she attempted to lift me in the air like Simba, and then I collapsed on her. I shotgunned my first beer um, and had my first White Claw. And I also made lovely friends with um, Missouri MTG, who is super lovely, and he's super nice, and he's doing some awesome stuff for the Legacy crowd, so I just also recommend checking him out. Um, but I think that was my best experience mostly because i was able to kind of come out of my shell a little bit and hang out with people who were of like minds that's great that sounds like uh, and then we'll get into later some of the literature conventions and, and science fiction fantasy stuff that i go to they they like to joke about bar con mm-hmm. where a lot of people just show up to the bar and you hang out after the convention um but in, in some uh, ways it's kind of I, I don't know if we were planning to get to this alex i just wanted to kind of you know thinking back at, on my answer i completely blanked on the fact that my best experiences have, have actually recently been the two barbecues at my house kind of the goblin lore podcast hosted just barbecues at my house that have been not on site. And a lot of what I've really enjoyed about Minneapolis in the scene. And even just when we've had the magic fest is how much there is to do offsite with magic players. Yeah. And that was me trying to come up with my answer. So let me introduce myself. I'm Alex Newman found on Twitter uh, at Mel underscore chronicler. Uh, my pronouns are he, him. And I'm going to go with, um, for, my, for my answer, something from GP Vegas 2015. Um, I went there that year. I mean, I, I had just gone to Charlotte two weeks before and met a bunch of people because I was at the time I was writing articles for MTG Brodeals. Um, so I met all we the people. We did not know each other yet? No, you and I had, had not met yet. We, I met uh, Jeff Good in Charlotte, who would then introduce you and I well, year, the next year at Minneapolis 2016. But uh, in Vegas, I went and um, I went by myself. I didn't have any friends that went with me. I didn't meet anybody. This was early in me being back to magic. So I just didn't know people outside of my very tight, like local game store network. And so I just went to Vegas on my own. And um, I went, did some things like the, the command zone had a big um, get together Thursday night, which I went to and met some people there. But then Sunday I decided it was, it's the end of the long weekend. The GP had been four days long. I'd spent all this time in Vegas. I was kind of burned out with between anxiety and my, my just general uh, introversion. 
but I decided that I wanted to spend a little bit more time in the hall at least. So I was just, I was on my phone watching the the GP, like watching the actual tournament, just sitting at tables at the GP, figuring this is a way for me to be sort of around people and not, but not actually engaging in socialization. Um, and somebody came up and asked if I wanted a cube draft. And this was actually somebody I met Thursday night. And that's why he saw me in there he and his friends had come down from Toronto. And I think there were four of them that brought their cube. And so they were looking to get to eight people and I got to cube draft for the first time ever. Got to pick one, pack one grizzle brand and then cut black so hard that I was the only person playing black in the entire eight people. And I think I had like splashed two for two red cards and that was it. Otherwise my deck was mono black, this ridiculous reanimator deck that they didn't realize they could build in the cube because they all knew black sucked. So they all avoided it. But it was just this incredible experience getting to do this type of draft, which was I'd never done before, but I'd heard about playing with random people, some of whom I'd met a couple days before, some of whom I had never met before. And it was at the end of this long weekend of incredible experiences, but it really stands out to me because I, I was ready to sit in my hotel room and do nothing, but I decided to go down to the floor and spend some time in the hall. And because I was there, they found me and I got to go have this experience. And I mean, what's really awesome, Alex, thinking about to that, that specific GP that you're referencing, we actually were in the same room and playing at the same kind of a offsite EDH event that was, that was going on. When all I knew at that point was that somebody randomly had busted out a box of the dark <laughs> to throw in with a conspiracy draft, I believe, or yes. um, yeah, they, so the Josh and Jimmy, the guys who were the, at the command zone um, at the time, like they were talking about doing this and, and I had actually sent some e- email to them and they back and forth just a little bit. I'm like, well, you know, I'm coming to this. Should I, you know, if I bring some random stuff and they're like, well, we'll have conspiracy things. And if you want to bring some random packs to throw in for your pod, go for it. That, you know, and I don't think they thought much of it. And so I happened to have had a box of the dark. So I brought 12 packs thinking, well, then I'll have one for everybody in the pool for sure. And we ended up breaking into groups of eight, which worked out well. But so then that was, we all sat down, we were ready to go. And I'm like, hey, everybody. So then I, I just hand these out and it was like, the reaction was great. Um, but then I went and talked. And so then those guys came up too and were talking about it. And they're like, yeah, I remember you emailed and we didn't think, I didn't think anything of it. And then you just brought the packs and this is really cool. And because I had some extra packs, I actually gave them the, the yeah. four remaining packs and they, they did some giveaways on their show with them, which was cool. But Incredible to yeah. see just, I did not know who you were at all. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you and I were in this room together at, at one of the first kind of oh, events yeah. that hit, or after you had kind of started going again and started really re-engaging, which is kind of the focus of where we're, we're going tonight. And it just yeah. blows my mind that I literally was sitting <laughs> a table over from you. Um, I think I was playing with the Stibs and Trick. And okay. we were watching you guys. Oh, okay. We were watching you guys draft this and yeah. randomly so uh, about the packs of the dark was was Jason Alton your table? Yes. Okay, because mm-hmm. he was because because um, DJ who is now on there on on the show with him, but who wasn't at the time was in our pod, and and he said something to to Jason, and I remember him kind of looking over. So yeah, no, but I can't remember who it was, but someone at the table got to p- pick one pack when Leviathan in a uh, conspiracy draft, and he was really happy about that. 
It's awesome. Cool. I mean, it sounds like we're, it, it's just great to hear kind of the good experiences that we all have had off mm-hmm. of going to these events. And even, you know, with Chase mentioning that you outwardly, Chase, I think, sound like somebody that comes across as probably bubbly, outgoing. Most people would probably peg initially for being an extrovert based on your online presence. And you're talking about how difficult it is for you to go to events. Yeah, it's it's extremely difficult for me, actually. Um, sometimes uh, I end up dreading go to events, mostly because I get so scared. Which is not how people honestly like I really honestly think I come across as super shy and anxious. But then everyone tells me that they think I'm really like outgoing and bubbly and talkative. And I'm not really like that. I mean, I am when I'm comfortable and I'm around friends. But in a situation where I feel I don't know you that well or I'm trying to make friends, I end up um, floundering like a like an actual fish on the pavement. The little slip slap sounds. That's me. I mean, the first time I went to GP Vegas, I mean, those were the first two big events I ever went to. Um, I mean, I think I'd gone to like one GP in San Diego, but that was really on my home turf. I knew a ton of people there. The hall was so big. It was very spread out. It wasn't anywhere near the, the, the chaos that Vegas is. I mean, I remember approaching Vegas with this kind of like, I need to have a way out. I need to make sure that I have anti-anxiety medications with me. Um, I mean, this whole kind of preparing things. And I'm also somebody that I think people tend to think of as an outgoing extroverted person and just going when I was with friends still made me completely anxious. Yeah. I, I've, I've had that to, to some degree. Look for years, I, I spent years just knowing I couldn't go to conventions and then my social anxiety was diagnosed and i had a better understanding of of what that was and it helped me to start to go out and do these things that i wanted to do which i think gives us a good place to transition to the 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 real world topic and kind of talk about what let's talk about anxiety disorders okay (laughs) so (laughs) i have uh as as the uh the i don't know I, I had words, but like pedestrian is is not the right word in this context. But um, so here's I have I have a quick definition of kind of how I think of it, and why don't you to kind of bounce off that or let me know what I'm missing or or what you think of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just have anxiety is a feeling of of unease or distress. Um, it's it's a normal something that's normal for people to feel, but those with anxiety disorders get it in volumes and times where it's really not reasonable or it doesn't make normal sense. Um, for me, at least, it's often um, the, my fight or flight instinct getting triggered as if I was in physical danger, but I'm just really talking mm-hmm. to someone at a bus stop. Mm-hmm. So at its punch base, kind of, again. yeah, are you punching your microphone in agreement? Is that, I mean, is that? This is how I say yes now, through violence. <laughs> through punching your microphone. <laughs> yeah, So I, I do want to come back, Alex, to the fight or flight piece, because I think it's yeah. going to really play a big part into this. But I wanted to start with just kind of this idea of if we're going to talk about this as is kind of anxiety disorders, right? So what we would actually define as being not just the fact that you feel uncomfortable in public. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? Most people yeah. actually feel uncomfortable in public to some degree. 
um, an anxiety disorder, once again, depression, anxiety, both of them. There's a difference between having symptoms and kind of getting diagnosed. And a lot of it is to do with functional impairment, which is actually, is actually a huge part. I think I always want to remind people when we're talking about any of the things on here that if we're obviously not diagnosing and if things on here sound like it's kind of you're seeing how these are impacting your life that actually is a really big part of it just having symptoms is never an issue i mean theoretically feeling uncomfortable if it's not impacting what you're doing with your life it's not considered a disorder it's not necessarily considered problematic yeah. in that way the there dsm usually yeah the dsm states that it has to like affect you to like a, an impairment sort of level to kind of back that up yeah so and, and i mean in this so with a social anxiety too there is kind of it's just like the dsm has for everything there is a number of symptoms and you kind of meet criteria for different ones the biggest thing to kind of keep in mind with social anxiety is really that it's a persistent fear in one or more social or performance situations. So it can be like, it's got to be one or more. So it can be just, and some people have it situationally to just work or just going out in public. But it, it's this idea that you're going to be around unfamiliar people and you feel evaluated or you're, that they're going to be scrutinizing you or seeing you in some way. Mm. Mm -hmm. um there's also i also like to kind of characterize that there's like a lot of like intrusive thoughts um like a heavy like um emphasis on worry um too um i i personally think that the intrusive thoughts is kind of what has a very heavy weight in here um to kind of add on to that because you know hops kind of like nailed it on the head here um a lot of times when talking about anxiety working at my current internship, I'm at a trauma-focused uh, center. Um, and a lot of the time, individuals who come in for, you know, GAD, generalized anxiety disorder, or anxiety disorders, um, I like to describe as really being um, neck up kind of people. Hobbs, are you kind of familiar with what I'm talking about? It's basically the idea that like everything is kind of going on in your brain. It's kind of that you're really um, so the way that I kind of describe generalized anxiety, because this is going to become important to talk about that there are different types of anxiety. Um, social anxiety is a specific kind of anxiety disorder. Generalized anxiety is kind of people who really are generally anxious. It's got to be above about a number of situations. And I kind of describe it as your brain is trying to be the best problem solver in the world without ever actually solving a problem. So you were asking all of the what if, what if, what if, what if questions. And so you are just intensely, intrusively trying to solve problems so that you can be prepared for every situation, but you're not actually doing anything about them. And um, kind of going back, you know, sort of like neck up. So you're all you're in your mind. And that's kind of how I like to describe um, anxiety disorders is that you're you're just constantly in your head, you know, repeating worry, stress, anxiety, intrusive thoughts, you know, um, racing thoughts is another big one. Lots of racing thoughts. Um, and a lot of times that we forget that um, our emotions and our feelings also live like you know, from the neck down as well. Um, you know, they live in our body. Um, so oftentimes, you know, when I work with individuals, it's really kind of getting you back into your body and getting kind of an understanding of what anxiety feels like in your body. So, um, 
you know, like, do you feel queasy in your stomach? Does your face get hot? Does your ear, do your ears burn? Do your, does your throat, you know, tighten up? Like, do your arms feel heavy? Um, you know, trying to get you out of your head and into your body while still being mindful of what is in your head. Um, but a lot of the work that I do involves neck down. Okay. Yeah, it's really trying to get you in touch with what you're feeling. <clears throat> and this goes back to your fight or flight, Alex, mm-hmm. right? Um, <clears throat> but the, the idea that you talk about with, with social anxiety is that you are afraid that you are being judged and that people are going to, you're really afraid of embarrassing yourself, humiliating yourself in front of other people. It's not kind of just shyness, mm-hmm. right? It's that others yeah. are going to notice you. Yes. And, and like I said, the, the, the fighter, the fight or flight instinct that it's, it's things like, like literally physiologically blood moving away from your brain. And like when I, I was seeing my therapist, like he was explaining this process to me, which helps me a lot. Like, I don't know about other people, but having the, the sort of knowledge and intellectual, just thinking about it mechanically can help me. And mm-hmm. so just realizing that in those situations, when that you know instinct is kicked on, it is harder to process thoughts because literally the blood is moving away from my brain because the body is getting ready to run or fight, and so it's it's moving towards the feet, moving towards the arms, and so just knowing that process was a was helpful to me because I can start to feel and like you're saying, paying attention to your body, paying attention to those signs, and once I started to pay more attention to those. It helped me to figure out what specific triggers were, just kind of work through mm-hmm. things. For for me, like mindfulness became a very important thing, especially now. Like uh, it's it's a thing, it's, it's that's always around. But I'm finding like habits that I had built based on my anxiety that I'm not feeling anxiety about things anymore. But I'm still following through these habits that I had built around things that used to give me anxiety. And so be, because of that mindfulness that I stop and I try to think through, okay, here's a reaction I don't understand. Why did I react this way? And that's actually a really great thing that you brought up. So um, at my current internship, I am um, working with um, a very specific intervention, which is known as DBT, which stands for Dialectical Behavioral Therapy. Um and mindfulness is actually the first uh, subset of skills um, that need to be taught in order for um, you know, clients to progress through the other um, skill stages, through the other levels of what we call like the house. Um, but mindfulness is super effective in, in doing that. It's a lot of grounding exercises. It's a, it's a lot of um, uses of wise mind, you know, um, with the three minds, making wise mind decisions. Um and really, honestly, that's like fantastic because it, it it's it's trying to recognize patterns of behavior, and and kind of utilize those sort of mindfulness skills to um, kind of help help kind of put you back in your body and kind of help you make these decisions and have that awareness. Um, so that's actually really fantastic. It kind of like coincides perfectly with what I do, <laughs> which is kind of sweet, actually. I mean, we, whenever I teach this sort of stuff, the, the idea is that the first step is simply that you have to recognize that it's going on. So if you're not aware of what your body is doing, um, so the fight or flight comes up a lot in in most anxiety disorders and also very much in anger. Um, that's the 
fight aspect of it, but it's a similar kind of mechanism. And people are not aware of the physical cues in their body that they are getting uncomfortable, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. which are directly related to kind of this leftover fight or flight mechanism. So Alex, I just want you to kind of tell us what you know about it. Uh, what I know about just this fight or flight, just like, how it works, like given, cause you've had the experience um, of kind of learning about it in yourself. Yeah, and and so my my general understanding is is it's basically like the fight or flight instinct is being it's my brain misunderstanding you know certain things and thinking it's trying to social emba- you know being embarrassed in public things like this are actually physically threatening me and so uh, early on I liked to at least in my own head um, make it absurd and I compared it to my my brain decided that being embarrassed is the equivalent of being eviscerated by a saber-toothed tiger. And because of that, that it's triggering these defense mechanisms. And so I'm, you know, it's pumping adrenaline and it's moving blood away and it's getting ready for me to run. And I know for myself, my reaction tends to be flight or freeze. Mm -hmm. I don't have a lot of fight instinct, though this may be sliding a little bit, which in a, I'll share an experience that I thought was really fascinating after the fact, but it was one of the few times that I can remember my fight instinct actually being triggered in a situation um, was at work. And I just had gone down to, we got a little, little like convenience store in the, in the lobby. So I went, bought a bottle of pop, was walking up the stairs, just happened to walk past like all the management from my department going to a meeting. And I missed a stair, stumbled up like two stairs, dropped the bottle of pop. And one of the, the managers saw that, came, turned around and said, are you okay? I said, yeah. You know, anxiety starting to kick up a little bit because I feel embarrassed that I tripped and can't walk upstairs properly in front of management. But, you know, I learned, you know, how to kind of extricate myself from these social situations. You just say, yes, I'm fine. And then you keep walking. So I did that. Well, then he catches up to me and says, Hey, will you do this for me? Will you call HR and report that just in case, you know, something happened, just on the work injury, you know, on the job injury, just something like that. So again, just kind of ticking up a little bit, but I say, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Not intending to do that, but, or no, he asked if I minded if he reported it. And so in that situation, I'm like, yeah, sure, go for it. And that also giving him that answer that he wanted gets me out of the situation. Mm -hmm get back to my desk and suddenly my manager who uh my supervisor who works under the guy who was talking to me comes up and hands me a phone number says hey can you call this number and just tell hr about you know the the incident or i can't remember exactly how she referred to it well now at this point i tried to run twice and i didn't get and i wasn't able to run and now the situation has moved to someone else who wasn't there and this is when my fight instinct kicks in. So I call the HR guy. He can hear it in my voice that I am, I am not happy, but I give him very specifics of what happened. He said, thank you. I understand that this, you know, is, seems kind of silly, but it's important for, you know, if you, for, for claims if something comes up and you realize that something later, it'll be important to have the record. And so I say, hang up. And I spend the next 45 minutes just fuming. Um, And that isn't helped by the fact that I I understood there wasn't really any person to be angry at. I can't say that they did anything wrong. 
but because I was trapped in this situation, that flight instinct shifted to fight because now all of a sudden my body has decided that I am in danger and running away didn't work. Yeah. So um, I do like to earlier, you kind of mentioned that freeze is another element. Um, it, it's most, it's called fight or flight. It, it is actually fight, fight, flight, or freeze. Um, freeze being kind of, you just shut down. Um, it was kind of probably like evolutionarily, it was kind of that I did if I kind of play dead or just stay here, I won't get eaten. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, but if for a lot of people, it's kind of then if you're in the situation something happens, you just freeze. The basic idea here is that your body is getting ready to either bolt or to fight. And so the physical aspects of that are basically the same. Um, social anxiety is accompanied a lot of times with physical symptoms. And those are blushing, faster heartbeat, trembling, sweating, stomach upset, trouble with breathing, um, dizziness, muscle tension, and feeling that your mind has just gone blank, or getting that really intense kind of tunnel vision where you can only see kind of what's directly in front of you. These are all just very simply due to kind of adrenaline coursing through your body. These are all the effects of things that you need or don't need. You need blood to the extremities. Um, the best example I ever heard of like why your stomach might get a little uh, kind of upset is digestion slows down or stops because you don't need to pee or poop. Chase, when you were in the situation, why would, you, why would you call me out? I just called you out for some references to pee pee poo that you made often. It's actually very true in this situation. Uh, I, do. I, write, I do write pee pee not. poo poo a lot. Yeah, it's actually relevant though because that is kind of the upset stomach or nausea is because your digestion shuts down because that is not needed for survival. All of this is getting things to where they need to be, like you were saying, Alex for survival. You're trying to breathe quicker, you're trying to get blood pumping faster and to all the extremities. And the problem is this system is getting activated in situations that are not actually life-threatening. In the grand scheme of things, these are not things that are. But your brain is treating it like that and if you're not aware that that is going on, you are either going to fight or you're going to run away or stay away from things because you know that if you go into that situation, you're going to feel this way. Uh, I honestly think that dialectical behavioral therapy is absolutely fantastic for uh, anxiety disorders. Um, I really think it's very beneficial because it, it has a lot of skills that I think can be utilized to help with a lot of, um, of the symptoms that you brought up that are involved uh, specifically in like social anxiety, general anxiety. So mindfulness is fantastic for the intrusive thoughts, the racing, racing thoughts. Um, distress tolerance skills are perfect for the physical feelings you feel in your body when you are experiencing that high amount of anxiety or panic. Um, interpersonal effectiveness skills I think are fantastic because they basically kind of give you a map on how to navigate certain social situations that um, – might be difficult for you or might cause you high amounts of stress or anxiety. Um, and uh, emotion regulation is also, again, good for um, that high level of um, what's called, I believe it's hyperarousal. Hypoarousal is sort of the feeling of like dissociation. Um, but I really think it's really good for like hyperarousal situations. Because um, when you are anxious, you could be hypoaroused. Um, 
but more often than not, you're kind of in the upregulated states. Kind of taking what Chase was saying a little bit, like hypoarousal is kind of what we see when when she was mentioning dissociation, which is kind of that is the shutting down. That is almost the freeze. You're you're actually in some ways disconnecting from your experiences in your body. Yes. Uh, so that can happen with anxiety. Um, so uh, it's less common with some of the social anxiety, but it could easily happen, especially in situations you might say, I don't really remember what was going on. I think you've talked about this, Alex, like you were there presently, but you're also kind of like you weren't attuned to the situation around you. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that for me, with my own anxiety, um, I I used to get panic attacks. Um, At one point in my life, I I got pretty severe panic attacks. and, And that is an element that can come along with social anxiety, especially or just anxiety in general which is a feeling out of nowhere that basically you're going to die or just that you, you just, you're, you're basically, you don't know what is going on. And I would have that experience where I kind of felt out of my body. Um, but I wanted to just highlight a couple of things because Chase used some terms here. Uh, so do you want to explain what distress tolerance is? Cause I think it's really relevant for what we're going to be talking about. percent. So um, oftentimes, <clears throat> We're just going to not even look at this from a DBT lens. Just distress tolerance is just in a moment of crisis, um, a skill, something that you can utilize in the moment to not make the situation go away, but to, again, tolerate it um, until you kind of get back to your window of tolerance um, where you can kind of handle the situation or you can process it afterwards. Um, So a really good example that I like to use when teaching distress tolerance skills is... um, you're on a like let's say you're on like a cruise ship or something um you know and you fall overboard and you're in the middle of the water and you see that there to the left of you there is completely no land like none at all just open sea and then to the right there is um you see a cruise liner but they're like a hundred hundred miles away like they're a blip but you see that they're heading towards you so i like to ask people what would you do in this situation oftentimes i'll say i'll scream for help or start swimming towards them um you know i'll I'll like freak out and panic and like in that moment that is kind of a crisis situation that's a situation that causes you high amounts of distress and so distress tolerance would be to do what's called a survivor's float and just kind of float and wait for the cruise ship to come to you And I like to use that metaphor because in a situation where you're in a amount of stress, you want to like scream, call for help. You want to like kick, you want to try and swim, but that is fighting the crisis situation and well, then you'll drown. Um, So sort of tolerating that situation until, you know, that ship comes um, or the help comes. Um, So pretty much using skills to kind of tolerate stressful moments um, and there are a lot of fantastic um, distress tolerance skills um, that can be utilized. Well, Alex, one, one thing you've kind of talked about before was, and I think this is, we did hit on this a little bit in our, our earlier episode about this, was mm-hmm. this idea that you developed a new pattern due to your social anxiety, which was to avoid. Yes. Mm-hmm. Not go into situations that would cause you anxiety, mm-hmm. right? You, it, it's not a great feeling. So you had kind of started structuring your life where you just didn't engage in ways that would cause this to come up. Mm-hmm. What kind of happened? 
Yeah, and that, um, well, it it led to a narrowing of my life of of the things that I would do in my my experiences. Um, ultimately, that led to a panic attack where I went to the hospital because I thought I was having trouble breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing was wrong physically in in, in that sense, um, and that date, like literally. Uh, I was, I was getting right home. Uh, my, my manager at the time gave me a ride to and back from the hospital. And I, was, I went home, I scheduled my first appointment and that's when I went and started saw a therapist and was able to get my anxiety diagnosed and start to work on that. Um, and actually I went, then I went back to work. <laughs> like he told me I'll take the day off. But at that point I'm sitting in my own head and I didn't need mm-hmm. to be there. So I went, to work for a half day to get out of that space. But uh, leading up to that and, and kind of looking back, it's, it's, it's a thing you don't, I didn't really notice as it was happening because I wasn't cognizant of, of the, I knew that there were these feelings and these situations made me uncomfortable, but I didn't really know more the root cause of it because at the time I didn't know that this was anxiety. So I didn't realize as the years went by how I was starting to live in a smaller and smaller space. Yeah. Until, until working through some therapy and able to kind of see that and start to kind of push that back. And part of what happens is people with social anxiety start structuring their lives to limit the amount of time that they feel uncomfortable. Um, Mm -hmm. So the stress tolerance skills that Chase is talking about is really based on this idea that we know that emotions will naturally come down. Like they are not going to rise to the level where a single bout of anxiety or panic attack is going to literally kill you. Mm-hmm. Um, that is what it feels like, right? I mean, people go into the oh, ER yeah. for panic attacks because it feels like they're dying and that's what they think is going to happen. And we know that emotions are actually a wave. And it's this idea that if you can get through that wave, you will start seeing that, anxiety will kind of come down. Distress tolerance is based on this idea of staying in the situation, not dissociating or fleeing. So it's really that you are engaged in it and you are feeling that discomfort, but you're tolerating it to the point where you can start seeing that the quote unquote bad thing that you were worried about didn't happen. And to kind of piggyback along that, that's kind of where the mindfulness skills play in is that you can't tolerate a a, a crisis situation when you're not being mindful. I mean, it'll, it's very difficult to do so. Um, also looking at, um, also kind of looking at other like distress tolerance goes when you said that you would avoid, um, avoidance is actually, um, a coping mechanism that a lot of individuals with anxiety disorders use because, um, it works. Know, it works. It works. It works. It does. Yeah. It is. But like you said, it yeah. started to kind of like funnel your life and make it very difficult. Um, and it gets to the point where, because um, I mean, avoidance is a coping mechanism. Almost everything that we do is a coping mechanism. It may not be a helpful coping mechanism, but it still gets the job done. And you kind of have to look at things in terms of short term and long term. So, like, um, for some individuals, like, um, talking to a friend is a coping mechanism or drinking or um you know other stuff and so on and so forth you know coping mechanisms you know help us um but where they become helpful and harmful is kind of where we see the divide a little bit and avoidance you know kind of tends to lean on the more harmful side um 
So um, a lot of distress tolerance skills are used to kind of supplement that avoidance, like Hobbes said, like literally putting you in that moment, kind of what's what we call um, in, in my field, like informal exposure or a slight, you know, like slight exposure, how we'll kind of, you know, expose you to the uncomfortable situation in um, in a controlled setting, obviously. And kind of have you f- be comfortable with the feeling of being uncomfortable, which sounds very weird and kind of counterproductive, but it is extremely helpful because you can sort of look at the patterns of behaviors before you, find a common thread, and then sort of kind of like find places where you're like, okay, yeah, um, when that thing happened, uh, I could have uh, utilized the skill, um, you know, instead of doing ABC. And then next time you're like, okay, um, uh, this thing happened again and I utilized a skill and, you know, I was still feeling pretty, I was at like a six for uh, anxiety, but that's way better than where I usually am at, which is at a nine. And, you know, it takes practice too, because unfortunately distress tolerance skills aren't skills that you utilize once and you're like, wow, I'm fine. (laughs) These things take practice, Um, especially when uh, avoidance is utilized for so long, because that's way easier. Um, but distress tolerance skills are pretty much ways to kind of supplement, uh, supplement for avoidance, um, and can eventually become very helpful coping mechanisms. I mean, I I think that one of the things that I tell people is that I'm making you feel uncomfortable for a reason. There's a purpose to it. I'm I'm asking you to do it. You have to be willing to obviously, but there's a purpose behind it. It's not just that we want you to feel like horrible, um, so it's more to do with the idea that what can happen with social anxiety in particular, as Alex talked about that limiting of the world is it's because you start, you avoid a situation and you start feeling comfortable. However, that social anxiety hasn't been dealt with. So yeah. then it starts applying to another situation and you keep moving further and further back because you have to now avoid something else that was a precursor to something that you would have to avoid. Yep, exactly. And then that's what was happening to me, unbeknownst to me for, for a while. But yeah, it was, you know, you don't do this because that made me feel uncomfortable. Okay, cool. I can just avoid this. Well, then it's like, well, now don't do that either because this is really close to that. So maybe mm-hmm. that'll cause those same feelings about discomfort. Yeah. And it starts to spiral. But we have been talking a lot about kind of anxiety <laughs> disorders just We've, I think we've nailed down what a social anxiety disorder is and kind of the, the approaches to it and why they've developed. Mm-hmm. Now, let's talk about magic because I mean, <laughs> we talked about the very beginning of this. Well, I mean, but I think is because the game is Magic the Gathering, right? Mm-hmm. It's literally yeah. in the name of the game we love, The Gathering. Um, the idea behind this is, you know, outside of playing decks like I like to play, like Storm, it's hard to sit at home and just play against yourself. Sure, I can goldfish. To really enjoy it, it's it's a game. Yeah, and I'm actually really excited to kind of dive into our um our lore aspect because um I actually have an article written about this. What <laughs> really? Crazy, right? Yeah, really? when I first started diving into content, I did honestly. When I read these notes, I was like. <clears throat> These guys don't even know <laughs> about the cool stuff I'm about to bring to the table. Uh, we, I mean, yes, it is very true. We never know what you're going to bring to the table. Oh, that's true. That's yeah. My own anxiety right now. So I'm held in so much because I know this is an important topic and it's a topic I'm passionate about, but I'm also me. <laughs> so I'm like <laughs> holding time, in my bullshit. Like oh, you cursed. said, this is kind of our, our lore portion of it. 
it is less specific about lore. It's about the gathering in this situation because we're talking about ways that we celebrate the game. Um, I mean, there, there are examples of lore stories with kind of anxiety and I think even just with how people have interacted with characters that we could find. For this episode, we really want to focus on kind of this idea of like going to events. We touched, like Alex said, on this very quickly in an early episode. We want to kind of give it a lot more gravity to it because I'm going to be honest, this is a, a magic fest is a way to kind of, if you've been working on your social anxiety and you want to start re-engaging, there's ways to do this. And there's ways to do this. I believe in a lot of these that allow you to engage with as much as you can and recognize that, that, you know, maybe you're not going to be able to do everything that we're going to talk about here the first time you go. However, this might be something that you're building towards, or even it's just going back to your local store and playing. Yeah. Magic Fest is a scary concept. It is the largest kind of gathering that we have. I mean, I think that's fair to say, right? Like these are these are the largest versions of gatherings. Mm. Yes, they're just big events in general. Star City events, Magic Fest, Grand Grand Prix, so on and so forth. Whatever you want to call them, just big social gatherings given that i mean i do think we are kind of we're still on that lore podcast element there may be people who are listening to this that don't actually know what a magic fest is <laughs> so this is a lore uh, podcast yeah, well we well, <laughs> were it's in our name yeah <laughs> yeah we're not having you, you back wait yeah we are you can't get rid of me <laughs> so alex you you were up a really nice kind of synopsis can you run us through a little bit on this Sure. So I'll, I'll just do kind of a quick list of some of the things and maybe we'll focus on, on some of these over others, um, particularly the things that we are more passionate about. But right now, Magic Fest is kind of an umbrella term that's supposed to encapsulate just a big celebration of magic. It's it's a weekend long. Most of them are three days. Um, some of them are four day long. Over weekend, they do you know, 30, 40 a year. You can Google magic fest 2020 and you'll find the list but um so there's always a grand prix which is what they used to call the main which is what they used to call these but now they're that's the main event it's a big tournament you know starting most of these will start on a saturday and then if you do well enough you come back the next day to play i know vegas does some weird things where it runs longer and has multiple main events and multiple grand prix but um, then you have artist tables. The, a lot of artists come. Some of the bigger GPs, uh, Magic Fest will draw six, ten. Some of the smaller ones, you may only have three or four, but you, there's always some artists there. Um, you'll have big vendors. Some of these are actual stores, your, your, your Channel Fireballs, your Cool Stuff Inc. that have big websites that are also physical stores. And some of these are smaller um, stores that will do websites and then just you know show up to these events. And some of these are guys that just go event to event uh you also have side events and a lot of different side events things that fire on demand things that are scheduled there's some goofy off the wall stuff um chaos drafts i believe is a thing that have been in every uh, magic fest since channel fireball took over they've they put that in the on demand or at least on the scheduled thing those Mm -hmm. are those are fun uh because that's my my speed i like to just do goofy things so chaos draft where you're drafting with random packs as opposed to a specific format i'm always a fan of uh, and then there's like casual tables there's just a lot of magic people who show up you get panels sometimes and different special events at, at some of these i think so there's just two also what they're aiming for 
Yes. It's more, like, more of this, more of that stuff that's lower on the list, I think. Yeah, I mean, because we're going to talk a little bit about conventions here in a second. And in some ways, the ideal situation, I think, for a lot of people would be magic fests become mm-hmm. magic cons. That we have our own yes. conventions, they just happen more often, smaller scale, but... And speaking of that, Hobbs, if you don't mind me cutting in here to try to pass it to Chase, I'd like to hear about SEG Con, because I think that's what they're trying to do there. But you went, and I haven't had a chance to go. Um, I went to an SEG Con, and I thought it was very fun. Um, The Command Zone was a huge draw for me, probably one of the main reasons why I went. Um, For me, that was a huge difference, because I'm not a competitive player by any means in terms of formats. Um, And I just wasn't really drawn to star city events because last time i went to a star city event that didn't have a command zone i just sat there twiddling my thumbs and wondering why i went because <laughs> they don't have much draw for players like me um and so i thought the inclusion of command zone and inclusion of command zone in future star city events is going to be a huge deal because it draws in individuals that they normally wouldn't draw in and it kind of intermingles the different um sex of magic that i think don't really interact with each other as much as they should yeah, so how did the command zone work there? Was that just some tables for commander players? Did they do mm-hmm. some other stuff with it? Yeah, so um, what they did was they got a little special badge that you were part of the command zone. And um, they had, um, it's, it was essentially like roped off. Um, tons of tables with tons of playmats. And you could sit at a table and play casually with whoever you wanted to. Um, but they also had tickets. You had to spend a certain amount of tickets, or you could like play in like a competitive pod to like win like prize tickets for the prize wall. Um, so you could register through that, or you can just play casually at a table and just chill out um, with friends and just play. Um, you're able to intermingle with um, guests that uh, Star City invited, and really just kind of like play around with people. They even had a little corner in the back where they were doing a CDH stream. Um, and a guy even actually had a sign that says CDH player. Um, so it was pretty much an open area where you could, where you could play for prizes or just play. Um, and I really liked that a lot. No, oh, that's cool. I, I like, I like that idea a lot. And that's, that's one thing that at least the, the Minneapolis events we've gone to, I've been fortunate to have a large network of Minneapolis people I know now. So I've been able to do some offsite things or some onsite things where we all just meet up. But yeah, having that, I think that was a thing that was kind of missing from some of the events I went to before, especially ones I traveled to, to have a, a spot where, where you have designated, okay, people who want to just do commander come over here and we'll meet up and play. I think one of the things that was difficult for me going to initial Grand Prix was they were chaotic especially the first big ones that they ever did with the vegases they were chaotic because it it really wasn't known at that point what a 5,000 person event looks like um there wasn't organized areas it was tables getting moved when you had started a game it was events taking you know firing 30 40 minutes for for side events after they were supposed to it was just it was an environment made to spike anxiety if you were somebody like me who is already prone to anxiety (laughs) like the event was definitely not set up in a way that would help me given how i tend to approach my anxiety Mm -hmm. and so i'm very interested to see how this could be going so that that's that's the thing but yeah is there there's something particular like i know for for me it's it's the more like i love going to the artist tables 
that's that's always the first thing I do at these events because the artists will bring play mats, they'll bring tokens, they'll bring prints. Um, me, I have day one, I always go and drop like twenty bucks on tokens immediately. Um, I just I love to have. You know, I'm glad Wizards is printing tokens and booster packs. It's great to have tokens available for the cards that need them, but I love to have like the unique things, the things that are special to me. And so being able to go to the artist tables and just peruse through the tokens they have and pick those up for whatever deck I'm working on. Or I'll just buy ones that look cool, even if I don't have a deck. I have no idea what card makes them. I just want this token so that I can eventually find a use for it. Um, We've kind of set up this idea because I want to. I think we're moving into, in some ways, Alex, the 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 reality sculpting piece here. Kind of, what's our yes. actual advice? How do we attend these big events, um, especially for somebody that might be more prone to anxiety? Um, I think that's what kind of what we're getting into. Because so I want to give you that opportunity mm-hmm. to really talk about. You know, it, it's it yeah. sounds like one of the things is, is kind of you're going in to kind of have a a plan is what you have done. Yes, yeah, that that's been a big thing for me going in kind of having a plan, kind of knowing what I'm I'm looking to do. Um a, a lot for a lot of these both um conventions which the the Magic Fests are pushing more towards what conventions are. Conventions are a little different because they don't have a central tournament, they don't have a central room most of the time. Um but there's a lot of the same types of things. It's a lot of fans getting together in a f- relatively small space to celebrate something. And so my sort of tactics, things that I've, I've done, to be honest, the, some of the first ones I went to, I traveled to, or, so I'd have a hotel room. And so the first things I did is basically give myself outs. Like I know if I have a hotel room and I'm going to this convention or I'm going to this magic fest, I give myself permission to go spend the day in the hotel if I need to. So then I know that if I go to the event and it becomes overwhelming, the sort of worst case scenario loss case is I get to go hang out in a hotel and watch the food network, which still sounds awesome. So (laughs) that has helped me a lot because it, it gave me, I don't know, in a game sense, I knew that my, the, the floor of the situation was pretty high. And so it would only be better than that. And so as long as the event was better than that, I just hung out at the event. So you actually bring up something that's very interesting, which is this concept. There's a difference between avoidance and purposefully stepping away. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be able to recognize that in order to actually use this as a skill, though. So because yeah. the, the easy part is to, once again, fall back into that trap of, well, I can go to a hotel room, and then you start spending the entire con in a hotel room. Yeah. Doing you it do purposely that. with intent, and it's a decision that you are making, is mm-hmm. very different than avoidance. Yeah. Yes. Um, and to kind of talk about things that, you know, I don't really like to do at events. So, like, I love yeah. interacting with people. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I love, I'm, yeah. I love interacting people, but I also with people, but I also hate it. Um, mostly because I I personally value other individuals' opinions of myself far more than I should. Um, and I tend to overthink of that a lot. Um, so at events, especially when people who I talk to on Twitter, um, my anxiety goes through the roof. Um, I am questioning every single thing I say, do, play, talk, you know, how I look. Um Honestly, every it's like every single thing that I do is like under a microscope. 
So for me, like, I love the community and I love the people. And when I get in the game, I feel relaxed and everything like that. And when I'm around friends, I'm bubbly and off the walls and happy and jokey and weird. But when it comes to interacting with people who I may have had a passing conversation with on Twitter or who I want to become friends with or who I kind of only know on Twitter and I just I end up a mess. Um, so for me, that's kind of one of the things that I struggle with is something I love which is people because I love people, (laughs) but they also scare me a lot. Yeah. That's actually the very definition of what led to dialectical behavior therapy. That's Mm -hmm. literally what we would call a dialectic. It's competing ideas that are both true at the same time. Time. Because a kernel Uh, truth and everything as the, as Marsha likes to say. uh, Well, as we were starting out this episode tonight, we were waiting for (laughs) kind of figuring out some technology problems (laughs) Alex, you literally said to me. <laughs> I said, is it possible to feel both under and over prepared at the, for an episode at the same time? Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. I mean, I mean, we're kind of getting into this bigger question of why would we want to go to these events? I mean, we're three people in this chat right now having this conversation that I would say on the anxiety spectrum swing towards the anxious side. Um, I would say that right now my, I do a little bit better than I used to. Um, and part of that is literally because I have to teach a lot of socials. I actually, a big portion of what I'm doing and right now is social skills, um, social cognition for jobs. So I have these things literally in front of my brain and have to teach them all the time. And I will say that is probably my number one thing that I have on how to do it is I have to talk about it. So it is right there at the front of my brain when I need it. Yeah. See, why would we want to go? Why do we even want to go? Because it's because we love these things. And when a lot of people, you know, love something they can get together and do some amazing stuff with it. And that's, that's really what these conventions, what these magic fests are about at, at, at their best is fans getting together and doing fun and cool things together. I mean, you don't get to do, a three-headed giant War of the Spark Vanguard draft at a, at a store. That stuff doesn't... Well, if you got a bunch of people who get together, maybe something, but that's hard to just come up with. There's these opportunities for, like, spontaneous events. That you're, yeah. It really is that whole concept that we now have of FOMO, as the kids say, I guess. Like, oh, fear of out. Yes. It's this idea oh, that there is these opportunities for things to happen that you might not get to do otherwise. Mm-hmm. And as I said, it's it's fun to get together and talk about these things we enjoy, or in the case of Magic in particular, get together and play this game. Like I actually have played a lot more Magic this year since the last Magic Fest. But um, when we went to Magic Fest 2019 in Minneapolis, that was the first time I'd played Magic since Magic Fest 2018. I went an entire year without playing any Magic, just because I had other things going on, and I just kind of forgot about it or not really forgot about it but just it never got to it but that that was a great time to it, it creates this external impetus for us to get together as a community we have you know you met chase at the top of the episode you mentioned missouri mtg like he comes up to the minneapolis uh, magic fests a lot along with a number of other people will travel to this plus you have a lot of them magic minneapolis magic crew and so we all get together and we go to uh, you know Hobbs place for a barbecue slash cube slash draft, and people just hang out at his house and start playing random games. And it's 
it gives us a place to come together to play and to do the things that we love. Yeah. And um, they kind of like tied into, uh, you know, what I said earlier that I actually wrote something about this um, a while ago, actually, I want to say maybe actually exactly maybe sometime around a year ago. Um, I, I used to write a couple articles on uh, master of magics um, called cabal therapy and that was kind of my breakthrough into content creation. Um, and one of the articles I wrote was a uh, crisis kit for uh, events, magic events, um, and how to cultivate your own crisis kit um, to essentially make sure that, you know, that if you get a panic attack or you feel triggered or you feel unsafe, that you have a pre-made kit that is unique to you to rely on in you know, in case of such an emergency. And I went into the steps. So a kit has to have um, something involving the five senses um, as well as some basic things. So five senses, um, sight, sound, taste, touch, and smell. Um, so I would recommend, you know, like packing maybe like a favorite treat or a candy you like um it could be like something you like to smell so you could again kind of utilize that with a candy or maybe like thing like a little thing of tea or coffee or perfume um you know something soft um to touch or a fidget if you want to fidget fidgets are wonderful and are great for that um you know uh headphones for music to listen to or something calming or a calming meditation um and maybe like a picture um of something that kind of like brings you peace or brings you joy um i also recommended uh like a phone charger a bottle of water um a healthy snack um and stuff like that medication if you take medication um and then having sort of like a plan in your head and, and looking back on it it kind of comes back to um actually a distress tolerance skill in dbt called coping ahead um which kind of has you has you build up mastery and essentially cope ahead and plan and prepare for this event that you know is going to happen. Um, but because you have prepared and planned and coped for it and coped for it, um, you're kind of able to go into it expecting the unexpected, so to say, and being prepared for the best case scenario, something not so good, worst case scenario. But you have to be careful when you're experiencing an anxiety disorder with cope ahead, because <laughs> yep. if you expect the worst, you're going to keep expecting the worst, expecting the worst, expecting the worst. So that, again, has to build off of the fact that you need mindfulness skills. <laughs> Otherwise, you're just going to keep on expecting the worst. <laughs> What's funny is kind of this concept of having a plan and being flexible is the biggest yeah. thing. Um, you cannot plan for everything. You can have ideas and having a sketch of it. Um, the risk that you run, the fact that the yes, the risk you run is exactly what we talked about with the generalized anxiety. Your brain tries to prepare for every eventuality which it can't because there really is kind of a pretty infinite number or you get the situation of I'm going to plan for the worst. And then um, basically I'm going to expect the worst and plan for it. So then when it doesn't happen that I will be able to, you know, be pleasantly surprised. That's not what most people do when they say that. Like they set themselves up to actually then have bad stuff happen because they're not actually planning for the best. They're not planning for it to be a good time. They're expecting the worst. And when you expect the worst, you kind of put yourself or maneuver yourself to act in a way that you may happen or you may not have a good time. Yeah. I, I realized after years of, of sort of 
having that idea that I'm going to, you know, set up, prepare myself for, for bad situations and not, you know, so that I don't get disappointed, that whole thing. I realized that by doing that, I also never really went out to pursue good situations that kind of contributed to me just feeling like I wasn't doing anything because that was the safe option. And that really, over time, wasn't great. That wasn't good. We, we have lots of reasons why we may go to events. Um, networking. Yeah. We may want to um, make sure that we're being involved. We, uh, I mean, when we did the cast, we wanted to record with people that we may not get to see everywhere. Um, we might want to go, and what we might get from them is literally learning how to go to a social event again or how to actually face my anxiety, um, to live with it instead of trying to just fight it all of the time, which is exhausting yeah. to me. Yeah, I mean, and, and you may get to see somebody that you, you know, you don't, you, you get to see online. Um, some of these events, both, you know, in, in the magic events and other conventions will have some big names. You get to, you might get to go see this writer give a panel. I mean, that's where I went to my first convention ever was because a writer that I, whose books I enjoyed, he was at a convention that was two blocks from my apartment and had been for years. And I didn't realize it until the last year I lived in that apartment. But so I went to that event and it was incredible to see him do some panels. Um, that one is being the first convention I went to. That was a very memorable experience, very good experience. Um, but it had a lot of, of interesting things to it. Like, cause that was literally right next to where I lived. It was right next to where I worked. I knew the area very well. So that was one where my, maybe not coping mechanism, but something that I did that really helped me was I left and went and grabbed food on my own every time there was a break. Um, that was a small convention, so there wasn't, uh, so there was actual specific breaks. And they actually, so I just went, grabbed lunch on my own. Um, though I did the last day, I decided that if I go Friday, Saturday, and didn't grab lunch with other people Sunday. I would go with a group and have lunch with a group of people, which I did. And that was also incredible. But by having those, the, those times where I knew, okay, at lunch, I can go to McDonald's or I can go to Burger King or I can go to wherever somewhere that's a little removed from where the convention is. So I'm going to be by myself. Then I can recharge and head back. You know, um, I think we're kind of moving into final thoughts here because Alex talking about guests and bigger names is bringing up my imposter syndrome again. So <laughs> I'm going to awkwardly change this and kind of move us into kind of final thoughts that people might have. I'm now just thinking about going to events and trying to talk to people that. Yeah, I, I know. Actually, name. that's what I've been thinking about yeah. too. My anxiety is like, oh, oh people like, this is completely and, separate from my social anxiety. This <laughs> is my imposter syndrome, which we yeah. also have talked about. Huh. Yes. Uh, um, that was our last episode. Yeah, there's that too. Yeah. Um, but th there's also so, some of these things, you know, like I said, and this is where there, there can be a difference. But like I, one of the things that I liked about doing panels at conventions is that in a way, I think of it as like passive socialization. I'm sitting in a room full of people, but I'm not, no one's looking at me. I'm watching this conversation. We're all watching the conversation going up you know, in, in front of us, but it gives, puts me in a situation with people in this room and there's a conversation going on and I get to take a part in that by being there to witness it. Sorry. I, I, I just literally have been just thinking about 
my imposter syndrome this whole time. <laughs> um, Deep um, down the rabbit hole of our brains. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so really, honestly, just like thinking about, you know, attending big events as somebody with anxiety is um, I honestly recommend preparing a crisis kit Um having that utilized ground yourself grounding is what that crisis kit is for that's why you do the five senses is literally to put you back in your feet if anything you can technically call it the six senses because movement is kind of the last one is kind of getting you back in your body um planning out things that you know like again like little moments for yourself safe places find a nice hallway someplace where you can kind of go and breathe um just preparation not for the worst but just, I kind of like to describe it as doomsday preparation, <laughs> like the like the zombie apocalypse. Like, um, you know, you want to be prepared. Not preparing for the worst. No, I know, but like, I just I'm trying to put it in a funny way, or like lizard people, okay. like lizard people. I try oh, to like make better. it really yeah, weird. I'm, like I'm lizard more, people. I'm more like okay. lizard people. Yeah, like yeah. I, I like I literally explained it to one of my clients once. Like lizard people. Like pretend that you're preparing for the rise of the lizard people. Do we know they exist? I mean. I don't know, but like you want to be prepared in case you know you see a lizard person, um, because you know or, or a reptilian, uh, as the young people like to say, um, but um, just prepare in a way that is mindful and that does not feed off of what you are dreading. Um, lean on friends. Um, you know, share with them your crisis plan. Um, because. When you're in a state of crisis, it's very hard to follow through on the step-by-step plan that you made, no matter how perfectly you made it. Um, leaning on others um, and, you know, preparing, but in a way that is mindful and helpful to you. Because remember, you want it to be helpful, not harmful. If the plan is causing you distress, then come up with something else. Make another skill. Utilize something else. Um, I feel like I'm talking in circles now. <laughs> well, my final benefit that I'm going to say for me is... Uh, reach out to people if you're going to be going to an event and maybe, you know, this is some of the best experiences I've had. My one at the very top of the show was about getting to go to this event with um, Adrian and Heather, who are two people that are, I mean, absolutely important to me in my life. Adrian actually helped design the uh, groom's outfits for my wedding and, and was like a consultant on this. I would never have met her if I hadn't have interacted with her first online. Um, I, that is an anxiety provoking situation. Um, be open to it. Maybe be open to that's where you're going to start with as I'm going to do a meetup with a group of people. If I really want to try to go to a bigger event and I don't know a ton of people, but I've had these interactions and I want to, I've been wanting to meet some people start small, come to the barbecue at my house. I guarantee you, we will not be judging people. Well, I, I mean, I guess theoretically I can't guarantee that, but we're it's this finding people that you feel comfortable with and that you feel are going to be welcoming and, and trying to do something with them, even if it's not on the actual site. To me, that's the biggest thing for me is that magic fests can grow beyond just the convention center and being open to doing stuff with people. Yeah. And, and they're about the people. That's the best when they are at their best, they are about the people who are there. And the people who are there don't have to be at the site. The site gives a good median, medium place, meeting place. There's lots of words there, and I don't know 
that any of those are necessarily wrong, but it gives a good center where we go back to the site here or there. We go there to sign up for an event or we go back to do whatever, but the stuff that happens at and around these events doesn't have to be at, at that central location. I mean, you've done your barbecue. Um, Mike has organized, you know, cubes in Minneapolis at various places around the city that happen to coincide with that weekend because that weekend gives people a reason to travel. And then those people can come over here for this one thing and then head back, you know, wherever else they're going for the weekend. I will say that this is the thing that I'm most excited to see if Wizards is kind of moving in this direction or Channel Fireball, SCG, all of them. We have a command fest going on now, or at least we're having a command zone area for the Minneapolis one it was announced. And I am kind of like, wow, I might actually be on site a little bit more because there's mm-hmm. more for somebody like me. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for being on again. So um, uh, once again, I am Hobbs Q. I can be found on Twitter at Hobbs Q. And I want to throw it back over to my lovely hosts, co-hosts. Yeah, I'm Alex Newman, found on Twitter at Mel underscore Chronicler. Um, and I am Chase. I am found on Twitter everywhere is Manicurves. Um, some shameless plugs because I got to be shameless. I have a lot of things to plug. <sighs> okay, shake it off. So first of all, I have my own podcast with my love <laughs> with my lovely co-host Mike and Jose. Yeah, it's a podcast called Best of Three, and we talk about the goings on of magic. And you can follow us on Twitter at Listen to Bo Three, and we are on podcast uh, Spotify, um, SoundCloud, all those lovely things, um, iTunes as well. Um, I am also a part of an all. Um, women commander play group called sarah's angels um we have a lovely cast of seven lovely ladies um and we play commander and we play on a rotating schedule based off of our availability um so i was in episode one episode two was just dropped a couple days ago um and so episode three will be out soon and we were functioning off of a monthly schedule we might go to buy by monthly we'll figure that out um but i'm a part of a lovely um women commander group um, and I love that. Um, I want to throw this in real quick. This group that she is talking about, Sarah's Angels, uh, has an actual mission statement, which has got me thinking about us looking into doing something like that. And has also been basically playing to get donations and stuff for charities and different events or different groups that they really strongly believe in. Yes. Um, our most recent stream just went to the Mermaids, um, and which is a very fantastic cause it's a wonderful cause so please 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 look into it catch us on the next stream sub donate cheer all of that goes to we we literally keep no money it all goes to charity um i um also i keep forgetting all the things i do (laughs) um i also stream on twitch i stream brawl on arena and i'm streaming mtgo and sometimes minecraft um also mana curves um i have a patreon also known as manicures um discord as well i feel like i'm forgetting all the cool shit i do and i'm just forgetting it and that's actually making me feel really panicked right now <laughs> um, oh, he's panicked about um, that and i'm like wow look how much she's doing compared to us yeah. <laughs> uh, listen i'm just like no, man I, I still feel like i don't do enough um something you could just mention uh, it the next time you're on right um yeah, I'm on Twitter a lot. Um, oh, yes, my sponsors. That's what I was forgetting. And also a uh, huge shout out to my newest sponsor, um, Ultra Pro, which still feels like um, 
a bold faced lie when I say it because it is literally stuns me that they are sponsoring me. But yes, I am sponsored by Ultra Pro. Um, it is the most surreal thing I've ever felt in my entire life. <laughs> um, legit cannot believe that they sponsor me. And so that means I'll be doing some fantastic giveaways sponsored by them in the future. So keep a lookout for that. And also some cool content in the future um, featuring some really cool Ultra Pro products as well. Um, and yeah, that's really all I got in my brain right now. I, I think I think that's it. <laughs> um, I also have some fun. I have some fun collaborations coming up. Um, so you'll be seeing those once they drop. I'm just working on scheduling with some people, so I'm looking forward to that. I have like I think six now. Um, I say don't six. get. I wouldn't give timeline timelines because we never know when our episodes are coming out. <laughs> yeah, anyway, I have six collaborations. Um, we just have to figure out scheduling for all of them. So yeah. That's um, that's what I got. I'm super stressed out, but it's it's really good. So, yeah, thank you guys for having me on. Um, this episode was way more serious than the previous one I was on, which I talked about um, comparing the Gatewatch to Scooby-Doo. And that's our show for today. You can find the hosts on Twitter. HopsQ can be found at HopsQ, and Alex Newman can be found at Mel underscore Chronicler. Send any questions, comments, thoughts, hopes, and dreams to at GoblinLorePod on Twitter or email us at GoblinLorePodcast at gmail.com. If you want to support your friendly neighborhood gobsmugs, the cast can be found at patreon.com slash GoblinLorePod. Opening and closing music by Vindergotten, who can be found on Twitter at Vindergotten or online at Vindergotten.bandcamp.com. Logo art by Steven Raphael, who can be found on Twitter at Steve Raffle. Goblin Lore is proud to be presented by Hipsters of the Coast as part of their growing Vorthos content, as well as magic content of all kinds. Check them out on Twitter at HipstersMTG or online at HipstersOfTheCoast.com. Thank you all for listening, and remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers.